Well, I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 3 today. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to continue the series that I started several weeks ago entitled Assured. What we're doing as we're marching through the book of 1 John is we're looking for those things that we can cling to that give us the maximum assurance that we're actually saved and that we actually know Jesus. And there's uh, some distinguishing characteristics, some recognizable characteristics that I'm trying to point out to you as we move through the scripture of someone who actually knows the Lord. I think this is important, and I mean, this is common to everyday life. If I described a certain animal to you, or if it, had, it would have certain characteristics. If I described a football player to you, or a piece of farm equipment, all of it would have certain distinguishing characteristics. So it is with a person that is a Christian. Uh, there are certain things that mark their life. There are certain things about us that tell the story of who we really are, whether we belong to the Lord or whether we don't. So in uh, 1 John chapter 3 today, the title of my sermon today uh, is called Child of God. And um, we're going to uh, look at kind of a, I don't know if you would call it a correlation, I think maybe you would call it more of a causation of what happens in a person's life when they're actually a child of God. Now certainly we understand how to correlate things. I mean, there's certain things in life that are just correlated together. There's a correlation between exercise and physical health, right? There's just a natural correlation between certain things that, uh, that, that we understand. There's, there's a correlation between work and financial stability. Uh, there's a correlation between education and income. The higher the education, there's a correlation uh, between income. Well, spiritually, there's, a, there's kind of the same thing. Just like there's natural correlations of things out in the world, there's also certain spiritual correlations that are true as well. For example, Bible reading is correlated with a measure of godliness in a person's life. Uh, experiencing spiritual peace is correlated with being a person of prayer. Uh, and interestingly enough, we see in Scripture uh, that hardship is correlated with the increase of faith in a person's life. And so what we're going to see today is we're going to see this important correlation. I'm, I'm even going to call it a, a, a causation between being a child of God and being a person that practices righteousness. In fact, I'm going to give that to you today as one of these recognizable characteristics of what a true believer looks like. And I, I told you I picked out about 19 of these in the book of 1 John. We've talked about seven or eight. But here's a, here's one, here's a, a recognizable characteristic that we're going to see that's going to be true of a person that really knows Jesus. And um, we're going to see this correlation between being a child of God and between being a person that actually practices righteousness. I mean, it makes sense, right? But now I would, I would even say that practicing righteousness is a cause of being a child of God. If you're a child of God, you're going to practice righteousness. And, uh, and we're, going to, we're going to see that in our text today. And so as I read these ten verses, I want you to notice the concept of being a child of God and how it correlates or causes a person to practice righteousness. I want you to see those two things as we read them today. So I invite you to stand with me uh, just so that we would give maximum attention to God's Word as it's read. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, start reading in verse 1. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in, everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. Now look at verse 6. Verse 6 kind of gets to the point. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices, righteous, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. God, would you open our minds today? God, there's things that we read in your word that sometimes confuse us, sometimes confound us. There's so much in your word that needs explanation. God, would you open our mind today? Lord, would you open my mouth today to give a proper explanation of what you have said? Would you encourage your people today, God? Would you give them assurance of their salvation? Lord, for people that are here today that may not know you as, as, as Savior, may not be saved, Lord, would you speak to them today? Would you turn their hearts to you? Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I love that God calls us children. You know, it would be kind if, all, if the only thing that God did was just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be nice to you now and you worship me and we're going to kind of have a distant relationship, and, uh, but you won't be punished for your sins. But God's done so much more than that. He's saying, he's saying you don't just have to follow me. I'm going I'm to make you family. He calls us children of God. And uh, we see that just starting right out in verses 1 through 3, talking about how we are children of God, that God has brought us close in relation. Now, when you read the book of 1 John and he calls them little children, um, it, it, it's, it may seem a little bit demeaning, but it's not meant to be demeaning. It's meant, it's, it's, it's meant to be a defining term about our relational standing with God. We're family. I remember whenever I was first a believer and I started going to church and everybody called each other brother. Hey, brother. How you doing, brother? Good to see you. Good to see you, sister. And I used to always think that was so corny um, until I started reading Scripture. Now, look, I grew up in Mississippi. When people start calling each other brother and sister, I mean, you just never know, right? Um, 
But, you know, there's, there's something relational about us calling each other brothers and sisters. Like, we are part of the same faith family. That God, He's not just our, our God that we worship and follow and obey. That He is our Father. That we are related to Him. And we know that this, this is true because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on that cross, because he paid for our sins, he has brought us near to God. He has broken down any dividing wall between us and God. And now we're his children, but not everybody. Now, I know that may, I know that may come as a shock to you, but not everybody can say that they are a child of God. Now, everyone can say that they're a creation of God, that God created them, that God is, in fact, their creator. Every, everyone can say that because we know that God made everything. But not everyone can say that they are a child of God. There's, there's something miraculous about a baby being born. We had three baby dedications in the first service. And, I mean, you just see those precious children, and you know that they're a gift from God. And you know that there's something special and precious and that God created them. But the Bible draws this distinction between two types of people. Two types of people. And we see this all throughout this text. Then You may not be able to see this. I kind of crammed them in on the screen for you. But all throughout this text, we see a difference between these two types of people. And there's one group of people that are called children of God. And there's another group of people that are called the children of the devil. Now, this is, this is interesting language, that there would be a distinction between these two types of people. And Scripture speaks in absolutes, like, there's, like there's, there's no middle ground. There's not another classification of people. It's not like there's children of God, there's children of, devil, of the devil, and then there's a whole bunch of us that are kind of struggling and are somewhere in the middle. No, the Bible doesn't give that type of middle ground. The Bible speaks in absolutes. I mean, after all, in eternity, there's only two places that where you can spend eternity. There's a place that the Bible calls heaven, perfect fellowship with God and with each other, a perfect place where there's no pain and no sin. And then there's another place that Jesus calls hell um, and gives the image of, of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it's basically a place where uh, there's no comfort and it's separation between us and God. And Jesus said that while we live this life, there's really only two roads. There's the, there's the wide road that leads to destruction, and there's the narrow road that leads to life. He didn't say, well, there's all these other kind of little paths that maybe you can take. No, there's, there's, there's one road that leads one place. There's another road that leads another place. In eternity, there's two destinations. And here, the Bible describes that while we live on this earth, there's two categories of people. There's children of God... And there's children of the devil. And so how do, we, how do we tell the difference between the two of them? I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow look up under their armpit and see who stinks worse, and maybe that would be the, the, the children of the devil. There was some you know, distinguishing physical characteristic about them that we could, we could look at them and we could say, you know, everyone that has a certain hairstyle or people who are a certain height or whatever, and we could just kind of view people and, and distinguish them. Well, in a, way, in a way, we really can tell the difference between who's in which category. And the Bible says it's really according to how you live. 
It's, it's according to how you live. And it uses the word practice, right? Um, how many of you practice things? Well, we all practice things, right? Some of you say, well, I don't practice working out enough, and maybe I practice sleeping too much. There's All of us practicing, practice certain things. And the Bible says, if you notice how many times the word practice is used here, it says there's a group of people that practice sinning. They practice sinning. And the Bible basically correlates that with them being the children of the devil. And then, and then there's those that practice righteousness, and those are the children of God. And if we want to distinguish between which category a person is in, what we do is, is we look at a person's lifestyle. So what does the word practice mean? Here's, here's the definition, okay? I'll, although all of you know what the word practice means, it basically means a repetitive behavior, right? It, it means to behave in a certain manner. And so people who practice righteousness, they are living a life that is pleasing to God. And people who practice sinning, they are living a life that is displeasing to God. And there, there, there really is no middle ground. That's, that's where a lot of us, we try to put ourselves, right? Our tendency is to say, well, I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of someplace in the middle, right? I mean, sometimes I do good, and sometimes I do bad. And I mean, isn't that where all of us are? I mean, we, we say things like that as if there's no absolutes one way or the other. Um, and we try to put ourselves in the middle. But listen, in, in an overall sense, you either live for Jesus or you don't. I mean, you're either godly or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. I mean, it's just, it's just what we see in Scripture. Some people claim to be Christian, but they don't live like it. And that's a problem. In fact, I'm, I'm not really sure that that's a possibility when we look closely at Scripture. And some people just say, you know, I've tried to live a life pleasing to God. I've tried to, I've tried to stop, you know, sinning. I've tried to practice righteousness. I've tried to, you know, stop all these bad habits that I've been doing. I've tried to live for God, and oh, I just can't seem to do it. You know, that's that's kind of how I feel. I, I used to feel about basketball. Man, I, when I was younger, I used to practice a lot. I'd go outside and shoot hoops, and I'd, I never could get good at basketball. No matter how much I tried, no matter how much I played, I never, and it, see, I only had a few flaws. I couldn't shoot, dribble, pass, or rebound. If I could have done any, if I could have done those four things, you know, I mean, just four things, right? If I could shoot, dribble, pass, and rebound, I couldn't do any of those things. And no matter how much I tried, I mean, if I tried to run with the ball while I dribble, I would always lose it. No matter how much I tried, I just couldn't do it. And some of you say, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of been my experience with Christianity. I mean, I've tried. I, I've, I've tried to practice righteousness. I've I mean, I know what God says to do. Some of you might say, oh, I even grew up in church. and I mean, I've tried to follow what God's Word says. I mean, I've really tried to stop doing those bad things and not having those bad habits and those character flaws. But I just, I just, I just, can't, I just can't quite do it. Now, here's, here's the good news. The Bible teaches us that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. In fact, the Bible tells us 
why Jesus came. States it clearly in two verses embedded within these ten verses in 1 John chapter 3. It says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin. That's, that's why Jesus came. He came to take away sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. I don't know about you, but that's good news because a child of the devil can become a child of God. Isn't that great news? Some of you say, well, I was, one, I was once a child of the devil, man, but Jesus changed everything in my life, and now I'm something different. Now I'm something new. Now I'm a child of God. And it says that's why he came, to destroy those works. This word, this word take away, by the way, it means to lift off or to remove. It means to just carry, carry something away, like that trash that you put on the street. Week after week, it just gets carried away. That's what the Bible says is why Jesus came. He came to do that. And so when, whenever we say, I'm saved, what we're saying is, is that what Jesus came to do has happened in my life. That's what we're saying. When we say, when we say I'm saved, we're not just saying, well, I hope one day I get to go to heaven. That's not what we say when we say we're saved. When we say we're saved, we're saying Jesus came to take away sins, and that happened to me. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, and that happened in my life. He destroyed those things in me. He killed those things in me. I've been rescued. I've been saved from those things. You see, the Bible doesn't know anything about a Christian that's one on the inside, but not one on the outside. We don't see anybody in Scripture that lives an ungodly lifestyle that goes to heaven one day. Everybody that got saved in Scripture, they, they, they live that way. The Bible doesn't know anything about a person that, that, uh, that is a Christian but doesn't act like it. The, the Bible doesn't, doesn't teach in any form that you can get saved and then not grow in godliness. It is foreign to Scripture to believe that. In fact, I believe that what we're going to see here today is we're going to see an impossible scenario. We're going to see that those, those things that I just mentioned are not possible. I want to ask you a question. I want, I, want to ask, I want to ask you a few questions. Who can abide in Him and keep on sinning? Who who can see him and know him and keep on sinning? The Bible says no one. The Bible says no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Who, who, can, who can see him and know him and keep on sinning? No one. Who can be born of God and practice sinning? The scripture is clear that no one can do that. No one can abide in him, see him, know him, be born, again, born of him, and it make no difference in the way they live. No one can do that. No one can get saved and then just keep right on living life the way that they were. Now, now some, of you, some of you are feeling guilty right now. You're like, whoa, wow, wait a minute. I still struggle with sin. You say, no, no, wait a minute. If that's true, then am I not saved? Some of, some of you here today, you might say, I, 
man, my whole life I've had this certain sin that I've always struggled with. So does that mean that I'm not saved just because I seem to be overcome with that sin all the time? I want to make an important statement to you, and I think this is really important. This is really important. It is not about where you are. It's about where you're headed. It's about where you're going. And, I, and, and when I say that, I don't mean your eternal destination. I mean, it is about where you are going in life. Where, where are you living? How, how are you living? Where are you walking? What is the direction that you're going in life? Let's go, let's go back to that impossible scenario slide. Because the scripture talks about keeping on. It talks about this, this concept of keeping on sinning. And it says that you can't do that. Listen. It is possible, we know that it is possible for Christians to sin. The reason that you and I know that is because it's probably happened, it's most definitely happened in our life just this week. I mean, if you've done anything small, like if you've gone five miles over the speed limit, you've broken the law. I mean, if you've gotten mad at somebody for an illegitimate reason and given way to anger, if you've spoken gossip, I mean, there's any number of ways that we could have sinned. And sin's not just something you do. Sin's also something that you feel. You could have had the wrong feelings. You could have had the wrong motivation that was ungodly for something. All of these things are sin. All of us have done something like that this week. So we know, it, we know that this can't mean that a Christian can't sin. It can't, it can't mean that, because if that was the case, then none of us are Christians right now, because we know that since we've received Christ, we know that there's been things in our life that has been bad. What, what, what this is talking about is this is talking about a lifestyle. This is talking about a practice of how you live. This is talking about a direction. You see, it's easy to temporarily act a certain way, isn't it? It's so easy to temporarily, okay, you can show up here once a week for an hour, and you can act like everything is fine. You can pretend that you're godly, you can look good, smell good, put on nice clothes, smile, you know, all of that. And it's okay, how are you doing? I'm good. Everything's good. What's going on in your life? Everything's great. I love Jesus. You love Jesus. Yeah, we're going to heaven, to eat, heaven together. Amen. Right? It's easy to act a certain way for one hour a week. It's easy to temporarily pretend. But can I tell you something? You can't fake a lifestyle. You can't fake a pattern of behavior. You, you can't fake a direction in which your life is headed. You, 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 can't, you can't face that. And I've described this before, and, and I've, I feel like I say this all the time whenever I talk about repentance. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about we're going in one direction, and we say, this is not the direction that my life should go. I should not go in this direction. God says to stop going this way and to go that way. So I'm going to have a change of mind. I'm going to have a change of heart. I'm going to have a change of position. I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go in the direction that God tells me to go. Now, that means that I begin to live my life. I begin to exhibit practices and behaviors and a lifestyle that is evident to me, that is evident to God and evident to everyone else that I am now going in a different direction. I may stumble and fall back, but I'm still I may fall down by the road, that I may pick myself back up, but this is the new direction that I'm going. That's what it means to be saved. 
The Bible never ever anywhere says that you're going the wrong direction, boom, you get saved, and then you just keep right on living the same life that you lived before. If Jesus really changes everything, if Jesus came to save us from sin, to remove sin, to take it away, and to break the power of the devil, then it is an impossible scenario for you to get saved and for nothing to change. You can't go north and south at the same time. You're either going one direction or you're going another direction. You're either a child of God or you're not. And some of you might say, well, I know I'm on the wrong path, but I, I still struggle. And the image I have in my mind is of a person that is lost in the woods. They have no idea where they're going. But all of a sudden, they figure out, maybe, maybe they get a cell signal and Siri tells them where to go. And they're, they're on their way out. They're on their way out, out of the woods. They still have to trance through all the, the briars and go up and down the hill. And, and they get tired. And they may not know where they're going. And they get weary and fatigued and hungry. And, but they're on the right track. They're, they're headed in the right direction. And this should be true about your life. This should, you, you should know that you're going in the right direction. If you're a child of God, you are practicing and living and behaving in a lifestyle that is going in the right direction. And the way that you know that is to look behind you. Where were you yesterday, last week, last month, last year, five years, ten years ago? Where's, I remember Henry Blackaby, he called it spiritual markers. You see, these markers, you should see markers in your life that are pointing you in the right direction. And if, if, that's, if that's not the case, then there's something wrong because the Bible says, this, it says that this is the evidence. By this, it is evident. It is evident. Evident to who? Well, cer certainly it should be evident to you. It should be evident to you that you're going in the right direction, heading in the right direction, living in the right direction, even though you might sin. I mean, even though your life sometimes feels broke down, even though sometimes it feels like you get pulled back, it should be evident to you that you're practicing righteousness, that you're walking the narrow road, that you're headed towards heaven, that you love the Lord, that you are becoming godly. It should be evident to you. And it should also be evident to people who study your life. People who, people who don't just see you on Sundays whenever you have everything together and whenever you're you know, you know, putting on the smile or, or maybe you see someone occasionally in a grocery store, but, but if someone really looks at your life and sees the decisions that you make all the time, if they, can, if they could see down in your soul and see the true desire and passions that you have in life, your motivations, it should be evident it should be evident that you are a child of God because children of God practice righteousness. And if this is an impossible scenario, then there is also an unstoppable outcome. Look at this unstoppable outcome. It says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Why is that? Why is it that no one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning? Is it because they try real hard? Is it because they're good enough? Is it because they study and read the Bible more than the next person? 
Is it because of some inherent goodness in them that gives them the power to somehow perform better than someone else? Absolutely not. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in him. He can't, he cannot, he is incapable of sinning because there is an unstoppable outcome in his life. He has been born of God. This is an image of, of human reproduction and of children, be, children being born. And if, if, if you know God, if God lives inside of you, there should be something supernatural that takes place inside of you. If you know Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. If you have any measure of godliness in your life at all, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's, there's someone at work inside of you that is changing you. In fact, that's what, that's what it means to be, the, uh, to, uh, to be born of God. It's a metamorphosis. It's a change. And it's not something that you produce that you work hard for. It's something that the Spirit of God brings uh, in your life as you trust Jesus as Savior. I, I wonder if... I wonder if you look at this unstoppable outcome, or let me, let me back up. I wonder if some of you would say that you've been trying to live in an impossible scenario. You've, you've been trying to live however you want to and still claim that you're a Christian and that you're saved. Maybe you've, been, maybe, you've been try, maybe you've been trying really hard. You know, I can't think of a life more difficult than that. I really can't. I, can't find, I cannot think of a life more miserable and more guilty feeling than saying I'm a Christian and then I'm not living like it at all and I have this constant feeling of guilt and I never feel like I measure up. I just, I can't, I can't, imagine, I can't imagine living like that. And maybe, maybe something needs to happen in your life. Maybe a new birth, a new beginning needs to happen in your life. Something different. Maybe God needs to come live inside of you. Because when the Lord lives inside of you, there's an unstoppable outcome. And if, if you're a believer, you know what I'm talking about. This has happened in you. There have been those periods and those seasons and those times when the Lord has grown you. He's shown you His presence. He's revealed Himself to you. And He's made you godly. You've experienced this in your life if you know Jesus. And obviously today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray about that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to think about where you are with the Lord. And think about if, if, if you're trying to live in this impossible scenario that's, that's, that's not real, or if there is really something unstoppable in your life. And this, this reminds me of what Jesus said about his church. When Peter confessed Christ, when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, that confession of faith in Jesus is going to set your life on a path that nothing can stop. Nothing can stop it. No amount of hardship, no amount of doubt, nothing can stop it. Fortresses with gates and walls, can be built in, very, built in the middle of this path of discipleship that you're walking. But Jesus said, they will not prevail against you. Uh, you will just knock them down, and you will continue to become what it is that you're called to be. 
And so, some of you here today, man, you, you've been going 90 miles an hour. And your spiritual growth has just been accelerating and accelerating and accelerating. Don't you love those times? Whenever you just know God is with you, you know that the Spirit of the Lord is present with you. You can't get enough of His Word. The songs just come alive on the screen. When the, when the, when the preacher preaches, it's just like he's talking to you directly. And you lay awake at night and you think about God and you think about His righteousness. And man, your spiritual life is just going 90 miles an hour. That's a good feeling. That gives you assurance. That gives you assurance God's with you. And He loves you and you're His child. And, but maybe some of you would say, man, I've just been in such a rut lately. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the Lord, but I have this certain sin that just keeps gnawing on me. But it doesn't matter. I'm still going in the right direction. My life is proof. But I just, I just have this, this habit or this sin that gnaws at me. Or I have, this, I have this command in Scripture that God's telling me to do, and I just keep resisting it on the inside of me. Maybe some of you are struggling with, with, with some of those things right now. But the, you know the Lord's with you. You know He's with you. You're walking the right path. You can look at your history uh, yesterday, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, and you can see that your life is on a trajectory of, of practicing righteousness, but you're just struggling right now. Maybe you just need to pray for the Lord to just, just be with you. I mean, that's just, that's just part of what it means to be a Christian. Discipleship is hard. It is, it's hard. But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I said some random prayer when I was a child a long time ago, but it has meant nothing in my life. I mean, there's been no evidence at all. I haven't really practiced righteous, righteousness. I mean, sure, I, maybe I'm self-righteous sometimes, but I've never, never really practiced righteousness, and I don't feel, I've never felt and sensed that a divine person was living inside of me, helping me, assisting me. Maybe you'd say, that's where I want to be today. Maybe you need to call on Jesus. Wherever you are today, I just want to ask you to pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and you just talk to the Lord right now. What is it that you need to say to Him right now? If you know that you're saved and you can see evidence in your life, I want you to just cling to that assurance right now. Just cling to that assurance that you, in fact, know Jesus as your Savior. And just thank Him. Just pray a prayer of thankfulness to Him. Say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for living inside of me. Thank you for enabling me to practice righteousness. Just pray a prayer of thankfulness to God right now. And if you're struggling, if, if you're, if you're in, in, in that, that mode right now to where it's just hard for you to be obedient to God, you have some questions that are going on inside of you. You have that besetting sin that just keeps gnawing at you. You know you're saved. You know your life is on the right track, but you're just struggling right now. Maybe you just ask Jesus to help you. Say, God, I just need you to be real to me right now. I need you to speak to me. If you're here today and you would say, there is no evidence that my life has ever changed, ever that I have been feeling the same way on the inside all my life. I had, a, have a, I had a pattern of behavior that has been sinful all my life. If you would say, I have, I have never had an evidence that God is with me ever. You're probably not saved. You're probably not saved. 
Would you call on Jesus right now? Well, listen, you got to give him everything. You have to be able to surrender. You say, you know what, God? My life is not, I'm not in charge of my life anymore. If you say, don't do it, I won't. If you say, do it, I will. You got to say, Lord, you are Lord. You are boss. You are God in my life. You got to mean it. Call on Jesus right now. And just say, Jesus, save me. The Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You spend a few moments in prayer. Pastor Andy's going to lead us in a song in just a minute. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to pray silently where you are. Pastor Andy's going to lead us in a song. If at any time you want to come to the altar and pray, please feel free to do that.